Hello, everybody, dear listeners of the Education Newscast uh, for another episode. Today, we talk about an exciting topic or several topics. It's about the SAP App House Innovation Toolkit. It's about user and human-centered approach to design. And uh, also very interesting, it's about a special, let's say, element or tool in the Innovation Toolkit, the Generative AI Exploration Workshop. And uh, yeah, so I'm very happy uh, to have Karen Tietken today in the podcast. Uh, Karen, you are UX designer. Perhaps you can introduce yourself a little bit more. So who are you? What was your journey so far? Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, thank you for inviting me as well. I am a user experience designer in the App House. I started in the App House 10 years ago. So when the App House started, and I've been part ever since as a UX designer. I also do customer projects. So, And uh, I also are responsible for the innovation toolkit that we have, where we publish different methods that we will see a glimpse of it today or here. Yeah, and before coming to SAP, I've been working as an interaction designer, visual designer in other companies and agencies as well. I'm originally from Ecuador, actually. Yeah. And perhaps for those of you uh, who don't know the App House, uh, perhaps in some words, could you introduce what is the SAP App House? Yes. I was there. It's a very cool place where you good, let's say, platform, not a technical platform to leverage or to use with customers or at SAP, but perhaps you can describe what the App House is. Sure. Yeah. So the App House is customer innovation team in SAP that helps customers to create business value using the technologies that SAP provides and also by applying human-centered design methods to use those technologies. So we, we focus mainly on positioning the SAP BTP, so the business technology platform as the transformation platform for our customers. And we also aim to scale our efforts and empower SAP teams and also partners and customers to apply these methods on their own. And this is one of the reasons that we have the innovation toolkit as well. Yeah, and I would say the App House, it's not just, let's say, typical offices. So you also have a, a architecture really inviting for collaboration and invitation. Or oh, So perhaps you can say some words about, uh, I saw on their website, we will link that for everyone in the show notes, uh, because there's a lot of very interesting, also free content for people who are just interested, customers, partner, whoever. But I think place is even some of your, let's say, uh, important values. Or Yes, yes, definitely. So Like you said, so we have different app houses in the world. So the, um, the app house is also a franchise. Uh, some partners from SAP have also become part of the app house network. So it's a, a network and we have app houses or members of the app house network in different parts of the world. And like you say, so one of the core components or we call them enablement pillars for innovation culture is place. And that refers to the environment that you have to create a culture of innovation, to enable a culture of innovation. And the App House as a space, let's say, is a bit different than, let's say, offices, some offices in Waldorf. So you have areas, it's first an open space for work. So we all work in an open space, but also we have a large room for running workshops with our customers, where, for example, all the furniture is very flexible. You can yeah, 
basically design and modify the structure of the space depending on who you're inviting. It gives a very yeah, sense of no worries, so to speak. So you're invited to an environment that feels where you can make mistakes, where you can have an open mind and things like that. So mm. the space also influences a lot how you behave, right? And that's what we also try to have with our guests in the space. Yeah, so I also just can echo that it's not just open and modern and cool. I think it's also very helpful in collaboration and uh, joint uh, working together. Yes. And one of the, let's say, your mantras, your values is the human-centered design approach. Perhaps for those of you, of the listeners who are not fully firm on that, so how do you define that and uh, and why is that important? Yeah. So human-centered design is, in, in general, not, not only in the app health, but in general, so it's a problem-solving approach that focuses on understanding what people really need to make sure that whatever you design is truly beneficial for these people, for the end users. So it's user research to gain empathy and understanding into what people need. And through that also aims to solve the right problem. So to find the right problem to solve first. And also a very important aspect of it is that it's iterative and also participatory. So you you start with very small yeah, sketches of an idea, but you show them also to the end users and you invite them to collaborate with you in the design. And human-centered approach to innovation that we call it, it's an approach that is not only used by the UpHouse, it's part of SAP as well. Um, so the whole SAP, but it does the same for innovation. So it's, it's more, let's say, not this focus only on design, but on innovation. And what we have done, I think it's particularly more to the app house, is that we have combined as part of this approach methods from design thinking or from human-centered design together with methods from enterprise architecture to make sure that whatever is designed is not only desirable by the people and usable by the people, but also that it fits within the technical landscape of the customers. and. This is basically the, let's say, the, the background for all our customer engagements. This is kind of the process that we follow for all our customer engagements. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for the introduction. So it's more than design thinking, because perhaps initially you would think, ah, I know that that's design thinking. But what you just mentioned, it's really more and it's really fitting in, let's say, our context uh, of innovation as an enterprise software company. So yeah, perhaps we can look into the innovation toolkit or Karen. So perhaps a stupid question. So why do you offer the, such an innovation toolkit? It's always good to start with the why. Yes, <laughs> true. So the, the innovation toolkit uh, is, is one way that we have to scale our efforts to enable other people to, so other organizations uh, or customers, partners, to use this human-centered approach on their own. Yeah. And therefore, as part of the toolkit, we have tried to include guidance on how to use the method, so kind of step-by-step -step guidance, and also in which order to use them, depending on the phase in which you are. So it's mainly an, an effort to scale our best practices and yeah, offer them to drive innovation, hopefully also with SAP technologies. <laughs> 
All right. And uh, so uh, on the web pages, let's say introducing the toolkit, you picked a special uh, approach of innovation. So perhaps we can look into that. That's uh, also mm -hmm. process approach, like to explore, discover, and so on. Or perhaps we can look uh, into that. Yes. So the different phases um, mm. you mean, so that the human center approach to innovation has five phases mm -hmm. that we follow uh, in our customer engagements. The first one is the explore phase. And in each of these phases, we have, let's say, more human-centered design-related activities or design thinking-related activities and also um, more architecture thinking, we call them, or enterprise architecture-related activities, right? They run like simultaneously. So in, in the team, we also have enterprise architects with whom we also do the projects. And so in the explore phase, we start by identifying opportunities for innovation and connecting them to strategic business goals. So we basically, together with the customers, we find use cases to do with the technology that we're looking at. Since we are focusing on the business technology platform, we look at use cases for it. And then in the discover phase is where we do user research mainly to gain a deep understanding of what the people need, so what the users and users need. And also we analyze, so the enterprise architects will analyze the assets landscape of the customer to see what they have and what we can do with that. And we also do, we synthesize the information from the research to understand what are the problems that the users have at the moment. So we kind of map the as-is situation of the customer. And then we take all that information and during the design phase, we create prototypes. So we design prototypes that are basically a tangible way to show a solution idea, how, how those problems could be addressed with a certain solution, with a yeah, with a technology. And we also create proof of concepts in this part together with other teams in SAP. And uh, on the side of the enterprise, on enterprise architecture, we define the enterprise architecture components. So the building mm -hmm. blocks that would be necessary to create that solution. Those are the three phases where the app house is mostly involved. Mm -hmm. And then we have the deliver phase that refers mainly to making the solution productive, so preparing it for productive use. And then run scale refers to deploying it across the company. So that would be a later stage. Yes. And um, yeah, perhaps uh, there are no stupid question. Another question. <laughs> so so uh, if now a customer listens uh, to the podcast and thinks, oh, that's very interesting. I want to also work together with the app house. So what are criteria or how do you select customers or engagements to work on innovations? Probably BTP is one criteria, working on innovations, leveraging BTP, I would guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you, you guess right. So yeah, one of our focuses is to do projects on the BTP. So we yeah cover the different products that are connected to it. I think also one of the main criteria is to have access to end users. So that is something that we, from the very beginning, yeah, is kind of a, a must because that's the only way that we can find out what the problems really are and based on that propose solutions. Yeah, so that's, uh, I think, are the main criteria. All right. And 
Ja, one, one important area of innovation or dimension of innovation, uh, of course, it's about methods, it's about tools and processes. But what we also see is that culture is, let's say, an important element. So what is your view on that? How can we shape such a culture? It's more or less a more, let's say, a fussy topic, but mm -hmm. I would say it's also very important. It's about values. It's about rules uh, and so on. Yes. Yeah. Normally with customers, we would start doing a project, an innovation project, let's say, to try out the approach. And sometimes uh, it's an IT organization that comes to us and says, okay, I want to show that this approach, I, I want to help my company work in a different way, in a more innovative way. I want to bring innovation to my company, help to do that. Um, how can we do that, right? And we start with a project that shows how the human center approach can be applied in real life. And in order to, let's say, multiply this practice and have it more times, yeah, not only for one project, but make it more a uh, part of the, of the company, then you need to look at the culture of the company as well. Like you said, so the culture is important. And by culture or a culture of innovation, And we mean a culture that is open to, you know, to experiment things, to kind of starting new things. If they don't work, try again. Also having this human-centered mindset, understanding that maybe you don't have the solution. So you have to go to the people who are actually going to use the solution to understand what they really need. So in order to help to shape such a culture, we looked at what would be the main aspects that need to be considered for that. And we call them enablers of innovation culture. We define five, which are people, process, place, leadership, and technology. Yeah, and they refer to those different aspects. So, for example, people refers to them skills and competencies, to having people with the right skills and competencies and the right mindset to drive innovation. Uh, process refers to having something uh, like the human center approach with the right methods. And tools, place refers to the environment like we discussed as well, to having an environment that can encourage collaboration and allow creativity to happen. And we also look at leadership. So having a strong leadership that supports this human-centered design or this human-centric way of working and technology to make those ideas actually real, right? So that is how we see culture and yeah, position it. Right. Yeah, of course, I, I could dive into each of those topics. But today we want to talk about uh, the innovation toolkit. So perhaps we can look or make a deep dive uh, there. So perhaps we just can describe what tools you offer in this toolkit. Mm -hmm. So we uh, have structured the toolkit so that we have methods for these different enablers that um, I mentioned. And for the process enabler, we have a particular focus, which is the human center approach to innovation. So for each of the phases of the human center approach to innovation, we have methods. And you can look for these methods based on the different phases, but you can also look for the methods based on objective, like If you want to understand people or understand your business, you can also select those yeah, filters, let's say. We have methods for more focused on design thinking and other activities focused on architecture thinking, we call it. So you can also browse for that. And for example, during the design phase, you will find 
methods for creating storyboards, for example, and another also a method called use case blueprint, where that's more on the uh, architecture thinking side, where you actually bring together the storyboard together with the data and systems that are needed in order to make that storyboard real, right? So to convert it into a solution. Yeah. That's the breadth of methods we have. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just uh, invite everyone uh, really just explore those. Uh, we put that in the show notes here of the podcast. You, of course, also can Google them. So it's quite some. Uh, what are the mostly used ones? So I, since many years, I'm a real fan of the SAP scenes. Uh, probably this is one of the most used. Perhaps you can describe this and uh, one, two others. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, but that's one of the of the most used. That's true. That method is mainly to helps you to create visual stories about a certain product or solution idea that you have. So that's how we use it. It's a method that we use it in a collaborative way in workshops uh, mainly. It stops, let's say, people from saying, I cannot draw, because that, that was basically the reason why that method was created. It has a set of of illustrations, a system of illustrations. You have different settings, different characters, different devices, and so on. And with them, you can compose scenes. That's why it's called scenes. You can compose different scenes that you put together in a storyboard to show how a certain product or solution can work. Yeah, and this is meant also to use it when you don't have any drawing skills or you don't want to show that you don't have drawing skills, people feel a bit liberated from the necessity to draw, but it helps them to express what they want to convey, how their solution should work in a very quick way. That's how we use scenes, basically to create a to-be journey of the solution. Mm. And I know that you can even use it for quite different purposes. Yeah. So of course you can use it Let's say if you want to create something like a POC or a prototype, better prototype is a better one. You can make that on a mock-up way, mm -hmm. but you also can create the to-be process yeah, with that scenes, which and I think there are even a lot of variations by industry and a lot of different uh, templates. So you can be really creative. I even know customers or people who are not even, let's say, uh, customers or partners, they use scenes really for uh, learning design. So they use it for creating e-learning courses because it's just very cool, easy to use, let's say, uh, scenes for storytelling. And uh, there it's, like you said, it's much easier than drawing it by hand, especially if you are not that super gifted drawer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have seen it used in many, many different ways. Um mm in also very different languages as well. <laughs> so that has been yeah, really nice to see. And I saw oh, it's downloadable as PowerPoint uh, template, as mural. There was even, let's say, a real case or so with magnet uh, figures. Perhaps you can dive into that. So let's say, how mm -hmm. is it delivered or how can customers or people who are interested uh, leverage it? Well, we produced a couple of those boxes but we are not producing them anymore. But we have all the material in the website for you to create your own set and all the instructions so that you can also create a reusable set. Yeah, we have it also available, like you say, as, as, as PowerPoint, the basic set we have available in Axure as well for those who still use Axure. And um, we have also had some 
partnership with some companies to create new add-ons. So some companies like Roche or uh, RTI, that's a research company, they have approached us with the wish to, to create an add-on and give it back to the community. They have been using scenes and they said, well, we need some few illustrations. Uh, we have a designer or a design team that can help to create them. So let's let's do it together. And so that's what we have done and, and we have published them as well in the website. Cool. <laughs> yeah, okay. So th this was it about scenes before we look at the Gen AI workshop. Uh, any other, let's say, tools which are often used? We have also uh, a tool related to define how teams should work together. So for example, if a company is setting up an innovation team, there is a tool called Spectrum that is helps a team to define what mission and vision they what mission they could have or they want to have. And based on that, um, helps to identify, okay, where do I have missing skills? And uh, how should I compose my team so that we manage to achieve that vision? And uh, yeah, that, that has also been very successful. Uh, how is that called again? It's called the Spectrum. Okay. And we also have, um, well, there are many, so I might not mm. remember <laughs> all of them. <laughs> we also released during uh, the pandemic, we released a, a method for helping teams And when the pandemic was decreasing to help teams work in a hybrid mode. Mm. So it's a method that helps teams to identify when they should work in the office, when they should work on site and so on. It's called the Flex Team Workshop. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think best is probably that just everyone explores the toolkit and uh, it depends on your goal or in your context what's helpful. Of course, I can recommend the scenes, but there are many others. So, yeah, and perhaps any other tips or good practices for optimal use of the tools? Uh, I know there's some enablement also available there, but do you have any tips or good practices how to best leverage uh, the tools from the toolkit? Well, uh, I think one thing to remember is that all these methods uh, were created based on experience, right? And many methods are, yeah, are, uh, let's say, typical, are used typically in human-centered design, but many of the ones that are created have been created in-house, come from experience, and they can be adapted, right? So they can be used as is, but they can also be adapted. And I think when people go there and yeah, want to use them, they can also try new things out, maybe shorten them if they need. And yeah, maybe let us know how it went if they want. We have also tried to provide as much guidance as possible to indicate for those people who might be new to these methods, how to use them step-by-step step and um, in which sequence. So recommend to look at that when you are just starting out yeah yeah try them out <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way probably yeah mm. yeah and uh, anyhow let's look uh, perhaps at the gen ai exploration workshop so then it gets a little bit more clearer uh, on the one hand perhaps we can look into the tool mm -hmm. but it's probably also a general let's say guidance or approach to uh, yeah explore uh, generative ai yeah Perhaps we can start, let's say, uh, with the goals or yes. looking at, at that tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, the um, Generative AI Exploration Workshop is a derivative 
let's say from the use case exploration workshop more general that we have, uh, we run a use case exploration workshop at the very beginning of our customer engagements, mainly when customers don't know what exactly they can do with a certain technology, or they have, for example, credits on the BTP and they want to find what's the best way to use them, right? So we help them to find use cases that, that have value for them. And the generative AI was uh, created based on, well, after the release of, of GPT-3 that created a very yeah strong hype on the technology. On one hand, to help customers understand what it can do, what generative AI can do, how they can use the capabilities on their own, on their side, and also to help them, of course, create use cases with business value that use generative AI to create business value. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps we can just go through the different, let's say, typical criteria of a workshop. So how many people you recommend? What's the duration? Are there any prerequisites? Perhaps we start with the participants. Yes. So uh, we have, uh, so the workshop we run normally with five to 10 people, um, maximum 10. They are usually heads of the departments or have some decision-making role either from IT or the business area where that we are looking at. And uh, in the session, we also recommend to have, we strongly recommend to have a team or part of an implementation team, members of an implementation team with generative AI experience. So that brings a lot of value to the session. And we do it in one day on site. And we have uh, also a mural to be able to do a virtual session that lasts two half days. And a previous to that session, or those two half days session, we have about one to two hours an introductory session. It's more like an inspiration session where we show demos of what generative AI can do. And we also introduce a tool that we created that are uh, the generative AI opportunity cards. Those are mainly business opportunities that generative AI opens up based on the capabilities that it has. So like, for example, streamline content creation, for example, is, is an opportunity. So based on the mm. capabilities of generating text, generating images, or helping you to, to create basically content, right? So that's a one opportunity that it opens up, but it also opens up opportunities in the area of processing information that you might already have to understand it better or to access information, access knowledge in a way by using natural language, for example, that's another opportunity. So we explain to the participants what generative AI can do. And yeah, and then we have these materials, so the cards and everything available also in, in the toolkit for people to download. Yes. All right. So there's introduction, like also like let's say a pre-session. Mm -hmm. uh, so what are then the actual steps in the workshops? So probably in the end, you come out with some use cases for the company, for the area or? Yes, that's the aim, right? So the mm. aim is to create use cases. So by use cases, everybody has a different idea of what use case means. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, How do you define <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have uh, created... Uh, yeah, sort of template that we fill in that includes, okay, who's going to use the solution? What are the challenges that you want to address? And um, also, how does the solution, what input data do you need? What is the output that you expect? So, but before we create this uh, description, 
of the use cases, we try to generate as many use cases as possible. So as many, as many ideas as possible. And I think if we go to the steps of how it works, mm -hmm. so the, the first step um, and the first question that we ask the participants is what processes and activities in your business area need to be improved and why? So we focus first on the challenge, on the challenges they have. And this is very important because we want to understand why would you use generative AI, right? So we want to solve a problem. We don't want to use it just because it came out. So that's we look at those challenges before looking at the technology, so independently of the technology, and then uh, we generate ideas to solve those challenges using, or the participants generate ideas to solve those challenges using the capabilities that generative AI has. And then by grouping these challenges and ideas, some use case groups emerge. Use case groups like, for example, a job post generator yeah, could be a use case or, or a solution idea that the participants come up with. Then these different ideas are uh, rated or are voted upon what the most valuable ones are. And based on the three most valuable ones, we, yeah, most of the times it's the best three. Sometimes it's more depending on the time that you have and also how many teams you have. But then we describe them using this template that I told you that it's called the use case brief. So it has three views. It has the business view where we describe mainly the, the business value. So from a business perspective, the challenges, as I told you, also what's the, let's say, what do you want to improve? What's the value for the business that you get out of the solution? And then there's also the technical view that shows what is the input data that you need for the solution to work? What are the systems that have this data? And what is the output that you want to have? And we also have a part there to look at the limitations of generative AI that can affect that use case. Mm. And then we also have the ethical view that is basically like a checklist of possible ethical risks based on the SAP's ethical handbook. And then once we have this description, we compare the different use cases that came out against business value and complexity, for example, and we ask uh, the participants to select that use case, at least one use case to move on that has high value, but is maybe not that complex to start with mm. so that they start with something. Like a typical prioritization. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, how close are these use cases usually connected to SAP technology? So you, you can, but it doesn't have to, or it depends how you use uh, the tool, right? Yeah. Probably. Of course, we are happy if it's connected to, let's say, our <laughs> generative AI solutions and BTP. But in theory, practically, you also can use it let's say, in the marketing department, leveraging generative AI for text or so. Yeah, well, for that, you also can use SAP technologies, actually, yeah. because okay. they, we, have, <laughs> we have the generative AI hub. We also have, I mean, mm -hmm. we use the same large language models that, um, we, yeah, we also use OpenAI's GPT-4. So the, the use cases that come out are not always generative AI use cases, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and that is fine. Because it's not that you have a use case that is only generative AI and nothing else. Generative AI is just a technology that you know how you have bits and you can have bits and pieces of generative AI in, in a solution. It's not the solution is not about making it only generative AI. 
So that's fine. We also look at those uh, use cases that come out that don't have so much potential to use generative AI than, than others. It depends on what the customers actually find most valuable, right? And then, but the ones that are generative AI, actually most of them, because that's the goal, right? Finding use cases that you can do using SAP technologies. Mm, so that's mm. the goal for us in the workshops and, and the customers, of course, also know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And perhaps to illustrate it a little bit more, can you give, let's say, one, two, three examples? What came out? You don't have to name the customer if it's not possible, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think that's perhaps interesting what came out of such workshops, uh, what you have seen. Yeah, so um, in one very early version of the workshop, because we have evolved the workshop and iterated it, mm -hmm. but uh, at the very beginning, that workshop was done with a company from the high-tech sector, high-tech mm -hmm. industry, and it led to a use case on the topic of supply chain mm -hmm. to help supply chain specialists identify issues in sales order commitments. So if something changed, they had to investigate why a sales order changed. And they normally had to do a lot of manual checks to do that. It took them a long time, so 20 minutes or something like that. And then the solution that was yeah, thought out was meant to be using generative AI to allow these supply chain teams to do these checks much faster. So to by using natural language to basically ask the tool what the issue was and the tool would, based on the capabilities of Gen AI and including also integration with uh, S4HANA to derive insights and allow this supply chain specialists to understand and to identify the issues in, in much less time. Yeah. Mm. So, and that was built on the BTP as well. So that is one use case that came out, a customer mm -hmm. one. And then we have also run these uh, workshops internally. Mm -hmm. One was actually with a learning organization in SAP. And uh, well, uh, we did two workshops with them. The one was the Explore workshop. And we also did the Gen AI Discover workshop that is not yet published in the toolkit, but it will be. And in the Explore workshop, we define six use cases. And the one that we chose was uh, one related to um, analyzing the training feedback to process the evaluations easier you know, without so much manual work. So to get insights from this feedback that is given. Well, that's interesting. And yeah, so that's one that yeah was described more as a, as a concept. And now, yeah, let's see how it moves forward. And it's just out of interest, you know, we are podcast usually also touching learning and change management topics. What were the other, let's say, five use cases? What you described out of the learning area? Do you have some in, in your brain? Uh, remember, can you remember some? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think one was, but I might be wrong. I need to check. Uh. Um, but one I think was more on the area of, uh, yeah, a chatbot for learning, kind of supporting trainers i think mm -hmm. yeah and the others unfortunately i don't remember but i can i can look okay yeah for those of you who are interested we already had also one podcast with frank rubel from our central learning team so there we also described let's say the use cases what they are currently working on all right yeah good so thanks so much uh, let's say for sharing so i think it's a very practical use right and uh even if you use it 
face-to-face, physical, uh, in the workshop setting, or I think it's hybrid or also virtual possible. So any further feedback where you want to share or insights uh, from this tool? One thing what I heard, what I didn't know is that you uh, currently work on another one, yeah, which is not in the exploration phase, but in the discovery phase. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you can say one, one, two words about that. What's the scope of that? Yeah. So um, once you have identified a use case, be it through this Explore Workshop or through some other way. So if the customer already comes with a use case in mind, the discover is a discover slash design workshop. What we do there is to look in more detail first at the to be process. So how do the users do the activities right now and what problems they have? And based on those problems, the participants are given a set of capability cards. Yeah. So they are, let's say, capabilities of generative AI written in a very simple way. Yeah. So for example, what if your solution could summarize any text so that you save time on reading, for example. So things like that, right? And, and they select those capabilities that they find the most useful to address the challenges that they have or that they analyzed. And based on that, they create a, a 2B storyline of how the solution could work together with those capabilities there. And we look also at what data do they have that they can use and what data they need. And yeah, that is... Mainly the outcome of that workshop is this to be to be journey or to be scenario. Okay, very interesting. And uh, can you share already a plan when it will be available so that listeners can look it up in the toolkit high level? So we yeah, <laughs> well we plan to release it at the end of this quarter, so end of March. That's the plan so far. Okay, so perhaps you look it up at April. So there's another tool around uh, generative AI, more for the discover design phase. Mm -hmm. Cool, uh, interesting. So, you know, we, we talk about different topics in the podcast usually, but one big theme, let's say out of an SAP or IT perspective is the uh, adoption. Yeah. Because in the end, it's often the, the high level goal. Let's say you don't do training just to do training or do you don't do change management just for its own sake. But one of the key, let's say background goals is also to support the adoption and the adaptation probably. So how can all these tools uh, support AI adoption? Or perhaps we look at the generative AI workshop. So probably I think that my, in my simple thoughts, it's if you involve people and have the user research, of course, it's focusing on the problems and challenges and it's not just, let's say, work in the ivory tower. Or what do you think? How can this all support AI adoption? Yeah, um, similar. So I think this type of activities first are aimed to generating an understanding of how you can use these new technologies or technologies in general in how you can apply them to your own contexts to address mm. the problems you have. So from that end, I think it already helps in that regard, first understanding how you can use them. And and also, well, at, at the moment, we have this uh, new, seem to be very powerful in general purpose technology, right? Uh, that is mm. uh, generative AI. And precisely because it's so general, we have to identify in what ways to use it the best, which ways to use it so it is the most beneficial. And I think this type of activities, be it an explore workshop, focus on the challenges, or also later, right, like you say, understanding what the users actually need, help to tie these technologies to problems that actually exist independently of the technology. 
And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Uh, so listeners can't see that, but I'm heavily nodding my head. So <laughs> <laughs> of course, it's not just about implementing a technology. It's about solving problems and uh, tackling challenges. Absolutely. All right. Karen, so I have three more personal questions, but before we dive into that, so anything else you want to share about the toolkit, about the workshop? Well, um, it would be great to have feedback from everybody who uses the methods. Uh, we are very open to also, if you have a method that you would like to share with the community as well, yeah, we're open to look at it and see if we can also add it, right? So um, like co-creation is welcome absolutely yes. and uh, how can listeners get in contact with you uh, are there some links on the innovation toolkit webpage or um there are but otherwise uh, also email my email would work but yeah there is a contact form in the toolkit that can also be used all right yeah and like karen mentioned there are some Yeah, nice co-creations already, like with Ross, you mentioned on the scenes, but perhaps in the AI space uh, also can be some because it's such a so powerful technology. But of course, we all need to use it purposefully. Um, all right, then we come to the home story. Yeah, I have three quick questions. So what is your narrative for learning and your own development, Karen? Well, for me, learning is a constant activity, like it's a constant process. I think something very important uh, in regards to learning is to have the opportunity to practice what you what you learn, right? So it's not enough to understand what you learn yeah, on, on theory and especially with new technologies. I think it's not you don't just need to get informed about it and see how it has been used, but also try it on your own. Because that's, uh, for me at least, the only way that you really understand what is possible and what's not. So, um, yeah, that would be like turning the knowledge into practice <laughs> for better learning. That would be my motto. <laughs> and what's on your current to-learn list? So what are you learning currently or, or planned this year? Um, well, I'm actually learning a lot about uh, that topic. <laughs> Uh, how surprising yeah generative ai i have some some courses saved um, as well on, on linkedin learning for example or also courses from sap regarding how to build applications using large language models like gpt and other courses more related to responsible ai yeah now perhaps we can share one or two in the show notes uh, so th this would be Even my next question. So how do you keep up to date or what are your, let's say, tips or recommendations, especially around the topic, I would say human-centered design plus also this generative AI? Yeah. So we have some open SAP courses, I know, about ethics, for example, but perhaps you can share one, two other sources, what you find helpful. I don't have a centralized source uh, where I take, yeah, I collect everything, but I'm... I look at different in YouTube the some podcast series uh, like for example the diary of of a CEO mm -hmm. uh, that is one that I and there yeah some uh, big figures in the area of AI have been are interviewed um, not only AI but in general I think um, the topic of AI is so <laughs> ubiquitous now that you will find it everywhere I'm also subscribed to newsletters 
there's one that's called Superhuman AI that also yeah gives you some news, <laughs> uh, constant news about the topic. Yeah, and, and in LinkedIn, I normally I'm subscribed also to groups of interests like Anthropic, for example. They also or others, so many of them post interesting updates on the topic. And books, I I like books a lot. So <laughs> I also yeah. okay, <laughs> okay. Which one did you recently read or uh, experience? What you really found helpful? Just one two tips. Um, there is one, uh, it's called The Coming Wave uh, from Mustafa Suleiman. He was the co-founder of DeepMind and now he uh, is the co-founder of Inflection AI. So so we have a model called Pi <laughs> AI. Um, and that is a very uh, yeah interesting book. It, it talks about the need for containment of the technology and how challenging it is to do that based on the fact that it's um, a very uh, technology that has spread so, or spread so quickly, right? And based on also on the fact that uh, we have not really been able to contain any technologies <laughs> in the past. But um, yeah, that's a very interesting book. All right. Yeah, thanks for the recommendations. I think that's always inspiring. So we put some in the show notes for you listeners. So just check them out. And of course, please check out the toolkit. I think that's very helpful. And the good thing is it's free. And uh, that's also perhaps not even not very typical for SAP. You don't even need to leave uh, your address on your email and your telephone number. So it's pretty accessible, I would say. So that's very uh Open, I would say. Yeah. All right, Karen. Oh, so I think we can end the podcast. We are around 50 minutes. So thanks so much for your insights. Uh, I thought for the listeners, Karen and me, we met 20 years ago. It's yeah. a very, very long way. And now uh, Karen was recommended for the podcast. And I thought, hey, Karen, I know her. That's cool. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's yeah. very nice how small the world is. And uh, it was so great to talk to you. And finally, uh, let's say, get to know the brain behind the toolkit. So I think that's, uh, it's very helpful. So I just use one or two tools, probably will use some more in the future. So like I mentioned, I would recommend it to everyone uh, listening. Uh, check out the tools. Uh, they're, they're very helpful and valuable. So thanks so much, Karen, for your time. Thank you. All right. Yeah. And dear listeners, uh, like mentioned, you also can leave feedback. We publish the podcast on LinkedIn. We're always very happy if you share it. If you give us some ratings on Spotify, you can do that now, but also, of course, on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to contact the App House team like Karen, the, we can perhaps also link the contact site there. And uh, if that's okay, perhaps also your LinkedIn page. So if people want to follow you. All right. So having said that, Wishing you all a great further learning journey and a great further day. Bye-bye. Bye, Karen. Bye. Thank you. Bye.